0: Father in heaven, we thank you for the awesome opportunity of being here once again this afternoon. We thank you, Father, for your word, which is a sure guide in a world that is totally confused. Father, we ask that as we open this word this afternoon, that your Holy Spirit will be with us. We know that in our own power, we can never comprehend the word, much less live it. And so we plead for the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and to give us the power to live in harmony with the principles of your word. We thank you, Father, for hearing and answering our prayer, for we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. In the course of what you have studied this weekend, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 begins by stating the special privileges which God's people have already received. If you read those first four verses of 2 Peter chapter 1, you'll discover that God has already given us faith. He has given us everything that we need for a life and godliness. And besides, He has given us great and glorious promises that we can participate in the divine nature and escape from the corruption of the world which is caused by evil desires that spring up from our hearts now because of what Jesus has done for us because of all of these things that God has given us faith everything we need for a life of godliness he's given us glorious promises whereby we can escape the corruption of the world, and our evil desires. In the following verses, God through Peter is going to tell us that because we have received all of these blessings, we should now put forth every effort to live a sanctified life and to live a life of progress in the Lord. So basically, Second Peter 1 begins by telling us what we have already received. And then it challenges us in the light of the blessings that we have received and the promises that we have received, what we should do in the light of that. Now I would like us to go in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 28, and I would like to read uh, just one verse in this chapter. Genesis chapter 28 is speaking about the experience of Jacob after he stole the birthright from his brother and after he deceived his father. He fled from home and uh, he laid his head on, on a rock and the Bible tells us that he had a dream. And this dream is very closely connected to what's been, be, what's been discussed here this weekend believe it or not. Chapter 28 and I would like to read verse 12. It says there Then he dreamed and behold a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it so you have the picture of this ladder you'll notice that this ladder is set up on earth but the top of the ladder reaches the highest heaven and angels are ascending and descending upon the ladder Now, what could this ladder represent? The fact is that the Bible explains it very clearly. In fact, from the lips of Jesus himself. In John chapter 1 and verse 51, if you'll go with me, John chapter 1 and verse 51, we find Jesus explaining the meaning of this ladder. Sure is nice to hear the sound of the pages of the Bible. We should still be the people of the book. Not the people of the tube. I guess they don't use tubes anymore because everything is digital these days. Notice John chapter 1 and verse 51. Jesus is speaking to Nathaniel, who would become one of his disciples. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So that ladder in Genesis chapter 28 was a symbol, an illustration of Jesus Christ. Now you'll notice that the ladder had two key places or points first of all the ladder reached to the highest heaven because God was standing at the top of the ladder speaking according to the next verse the bottom of the ladder was firmly planted on the earth now the question is what would this represent the fact that the ladder was firmly grounded on the earth and yet reached to the highest heaven The fact is that this ladder the top and the bottom of the ladder represent the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. By the way, this would show that this ladder is different than the ladders that we usually set up. Because we usually take the ladder and we plant the ladder on the ground and then we put it where we want it to go where we want to ascend to but this ladder is different because this ladder is not set up on earth and leads to heaven it is actually a ladder that is let down from heaven to the earth because the Bible tells us that Jesus was God before he became man in fact let's read that in John chapter 1 and verses 1 and then we'll jump down to verse 14 John chapter 1 verse 1 and then we'll go down to verse 14. It says here, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. So what was the word? God. God with the Father, one with the Father. But then notice verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth so you see that Jesus had a dual nature he was God in heaven with the father one with the father equal with the father eternal with the father sharing all of the attributes of the father and yet when he was born in Bethlehem, he assumed another nature. He assumed the human nature. Now what I believe that God is trying to teach us through this ladder is the fact that the humanity of Jesus gives us the model that we need to follow. Whereas the divinity of Jesus gives us the power to follow that model you see it's indispensable for Jesus to have been human and divine human because he needed to form a perfect humanity if you please that we could be modeled after you see our lives have to be modeled according to the perfect pattern. But how could we model our lives after the perfect pattern if there was no pattern? So Jesus became man to to form a character that has all of these virtues that we've been talking about this weekend. A perfect humanity, perfectly balanced in every sense of the word. So that as we look upon Jesus, we see the perfect model that needs to be followed. But you see, folks, we can't follow that perfect model in ourselves especially in our sinful condition sinful human nature cannot reach the divine ideal and that's why we need the other aspect of Christ, the other nature of Christ if you please his divine nature because with his divine nature he empowers us to follow the example that he set in his humanity Another way of expressing it is that Jesus, as God, links us with God, and as man, he links God with us. He is one with us, he is our brother. Have you ever stopped to think what it means that Jesus is our brother? He shares our flesh and our blood. And you know, Jesus said that no one can come to the Father but through him. You know basically what that means? It means that before we can come to the Father, we must become brothers and sisters of Jesus. You see, God the Father has only one true Son, one faithful Son, and that Son is Jesus. We are all fallen sons and daughters. Jesus is the only Son who was 100% faithful to His Father. He's the only one worthy to be called the Son. But when we receive Jesus into our life, we become brothers and sisters of Jesus. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. He is not ashamed to call us what? Brethren. And so now we're brothers and sisters of Jesus. And now Jesus can come to his father and he says, Father, I have a new brother. Pastor Boar. And then the father looks at Jesus and he says, Pastor Boar is your brother? Well, if he's your brother, then he's my son too what Jesus meant when he said no one comes unto the father but by me only through Jesus the latter by copying the model of his humanity through the power of divinity that's why this passage begins by saying that God has given us glorious promises that we can be partakers of what of the divine nature Now, during this weekend, uh, we've spoken about eight virtues. And actually, these are eight rungs of a ladder. You see, the eight virtues are really the rungs of the ladder that leads to heaven. Let me mention them briefly. Faith. By the way, faith is mentioned first because it's foundational. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please Him. And it also says there in Hebrews that that in order for us to come to God, we must first of all have faith that He is. So without faith, none of the other virtues would be possible. And you'll notice that at the very top of the ladder is agape, love. And each one of these virtues is a rung on the ladder in the process of sanctification where eventually we reach the kingdom as we'll notice at the end of this passage. The first is faith. Pistis. You know the word faith is really an action word. It's a noun but it really plays the part of a verb. In other words, faith is not something that happens up here. Faith should be better translated. Trust. Then you have the second virtue which is virtue. Really it should be translated moral excellence. Then you have knowledge. The Greek word gnosis. It's not talking about intellectual knowledge. It's talking about experiential knowledge. To know someone as a person. Then you have temperance. Probably a better translation would be self-control. Then you have patience. By the way, there are two words that are translated patience in the New Testament. One of them is the word makrothumia, which is translated in the King James Version, long-suffering. But the word that's used here is not makrothumia. The word that is used here is hupomone, as as probably uh, you've heard in the course of this weekend. Hupomone means Endurance. It means perseverance. It is a perseverant patience. It's the same word that is used in Revelation. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And then, of course, this morning we talked about godliness, which basically is self-sacrifice, service, humility. And then my friend Don spoke about brotherly kindness. Philadelphia. Is the Greek word. And then finally, at the very top of the ladder, agape. Allow me to read you some statements from Ellen White, where Ellen White caught this idea that the ladder is Jesus, and these virtues are actually rungs on the ladder. The first statement that I'm going to read comes from the book Maranatha, page 84, profound statement. She says, Christ is the ladder. The base is planted firmly on the earth in his humanity. The topmost round reaches to the throne of God in his divinity. The humanity of Christ embraces fallen humanity while his divinity lays hold upon the throne of God. We are saved, now notice this, we are saved by climbing round after round of the ladder, looking to Christ, clinging to Christ, mounting step by step to the height of Christ, so that He has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And then notice what she says. Faith. Virtue Knowledge Temperance Patience Godliness Brotherly kindness And charity Are the rounds of this ladder Each one is a step In the ladder Now notice what she continues saying All these graces Are to be manifested In the Christian character And And if ye do these things ye shall never fall; for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In another statement Acts of the Apostles page 530 she had this to say these words are full of instruction she's referring to the words in second Peter these words are full of instruction and strike the keynote of of victory the apostle presents before the believers the ladder of Christian progress so these rungs are the ladder of Christian progress every step of which represents advancement in the knowledge of God and in the climbing of which there is to be no standstill faith Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity are the rounds of this ladder. And Now notice what she says. We are saved by climbing round after round, mounting step after step to the height of Christ's ideal for us. How could we ever do it? We can't. How could we ever copy the model? Did Jesus reveal these qualities in his character when he walked upon this earth? He most certainly did. How did he develop those qualities? Well, he was God, right? No. He depended upon the divine power of his Father. And we can behold Jesus... And the Apostle Paul says that we can also be changed. And we're changed by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, we're not changed because of some effort that we put forth. We're changed because the divine power of the human Jesus is available to us. I had the privilege of growing up in Venezuela. From the time that I was four years old, my parents... I went as missionaries, and I studied all of my primary education in Spanish. So I speak the language of heaven. Just kid, Don't worry, just kidding. <laughs> you know, I just got a phone call today from uh, one of the persons that works as a volunteer at our Secrets Unsealed office, and she, she was dubbing a, a sermon that I did in Spanish. And she says to me, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this Pentecostal preacher here uh, uh, and he sounds identical to you and I said well who could he be I I didn't catch on I said who could he be she says well I think his name is Stephen Bohr. I said well what do you mean he's Pentecostal she says oh you have twice the enthusiasm in Spanish that you have in English (laughs) and the reason is because Spanish is really my first language it's the language that I grew up with in fact you know I did not know how to read or write English until I was 14 years old my parents sent me from south america to wisconsin academy straight f's the first semester i mean not even an f plus i mean the second semester i might have gotten a d minus here and there but what do you expect when you're in the academy and you don't know how to read or write, uh, you don't know how to read or write English. Well, after a while, I became a straight C student, average, par for the course. Many years later, I had the opportunity of going to the country of Colombia and studying three years of my theological course in uh, our university there and also a little bit later on I had the privilege of teaching theology there in that university for six years in my alma mater that was a great experience the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because when I was a student the school would organize these outings where they would go out into the country one place which was a favorite of mine was about an hour driving distance from the city of Medellin, Colombia. There was this huge stone. Huge. It wasn't a stone. Well, it looked like a stone, but it was a rock. It was a thousand feet high. 300 feet in diameter. And they had set it up in a way that they had a ladder that zigzagged up the side of the of this rock so that you could go to a viewpoint at the very top of the rock the name of the rock is el peñol that means the rock actually it's uh, it's a n- not a translatable word it means the solid rock really el peñol and i remember the first time that uh, i went there I was dating my wife at that time, uh, you know. I I met her down there. We got married down there. And uh, I looked up the side of that rock to those stairs that zigzagged up the top, up to the top of the rock. They were not set in stone. They were actually hanging stairs. And they zigzagged this way. Six hundred and forty-five. Steps to the top. Interestingly enough, these these steps that you went up, they hung in the air. On the sides there were ropes. And as you were walking on these boards, because there were boards that you were walking on, there were some boards missing and it had been raining and the boards were very, very slippery. And it was windy up there. And you could feel this, you know, this ladder, this staircase moving from side to side. And I remember saying to the lady who's my wife and I said, let's go up. She said, not me. I said, I want to go up. I want to see what it looks like up there. Wasn't able to convince her So I decided that I would go up Now before we went up We got some very Very careful instructions You see the stairs were slippery It was windy This was a thousand feet up Some of the boards were missing And by the way some of the boards broke While some of our kids were going to the top And so the individual Who was selling the ticket says now there's some rules that you need to follow as you climb to the top of this rock number one get rid of everything that might weigh you down so we had to shed everything backpacks everything extra that we had second cling to the ropes and don't let loose he said also Always keep looking up. Never look down. It'll be a huge mistake if you look down. He said, Don't freeze. Because if you freeze, you're going to stay frozen. (laughs) Always keep advancing. I'll tell you what. I had just started going up that staircase and I was praying because that thing was moving back and forth. The ropes, you know, there were some flimsy ropes and they were moving back and forth and boards missing and slippery. I don't know how in the world the teachers from our school allowed our students to go all the way to the top of that rock. But they did. You know, after that experience, I couldn't help but think about the ladder of Genesis 28 and John chapter 1. Because the same instructions that we got for climbing that rock are the instructions that Jesus gives us as we progress in our Christian life. What are they? First of all, we must begin at the bottom, at the foundation, with faith. And we're moving on to the top rung, which is agape love. By the way, when I got to the top of that rock, absolutely spectacular. The view is everything in the area is green. Green hills, agriculture, fresh air blowing. It's wonderful to be at the top of the rock. It was worth going up. As we progress on the ladder to heaven, we must also keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We cannot afford to freeze. There are many Christians who are frozen in their religious experience. We call them the frozen chosen. We have to get rid of all of the earthly baggage that weighs us down. That would make our journey more difficult. We should never look down. We should always look up. And of course, we should never start, stop progressing and we must cling to Jesus. Like I clang to those ropes. And you know, at the end of the journey, it will all be worth it. Because we're going to be in heaven. And we're going to be looking out on the whole universe. Isn't that going to be an awesome experience? You know, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It is worthwhile climbing that ladder. Dedicating the most, the utmost time and effort and zeal to progressing in the Christian life. I want you to notice 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. When we are advancing upon this ladder we're told something very interesting. Verse 8 of 2 Peter chapter 1 it says for if these things are yours and abound in other words if these virtues are yours and abound you will be neither Barren. By the way, that word is better translated inactive or idle. You will not be inactive or idle nor unfruitful. That word, unfruitful, connects with Galatians chapter 5 where you have another list of virtues. The fruit of the Spirit is love. You see, there the most important virtue is placed first. In this list faith as the foundation of the ladder is placed first so it's not that love is the most important and the least important it's the most important but it all depends how you look at it, it can be at the top of the ladder as the uppermost uh, rung of the ladder or it can also be foundational depending on how you look at it and so what Peter is saying that if we have these virtues we're not going to be inactive or idle in fact We are not going to be unfruitful because we're going to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But what about people who are not progressing who don't have this? Notice verse 9. For he who lacks these things, that is these virtues, is short-sighted. That word short-sighted is a pretty good translation. What it means is that a A person who does not have these virtues can't see the big picture. In other words, they're just nearsighted. You know, I don't have any problems with my farsightedness. I have problems with my nearsightedness. That's why most of the time, unless I'm in a place where there's a lot of light like here, I have to use my glasses. But the word here really means short-sighted. Not being able to see the big picture. And what is the big picture? The big picture is that this life is not all that there is. There's a whole future out there. There's a universe waiting for us to explore. And if we don't have these virtues, we're just seeing the little here and now. And we're not seeing the glorious things that God has prepared for His people in the future for those who love Him. Notice verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. That's interesting. Do we need to make our call and election sure? Does sanctification make a difference? Do you know Ellen White says that we are not saved by our good works but she says also that we will not be saved without them how do you understand that well she's speaking of works not as the root of our salvation but as the fruit of our salvation if there is no fruit you know an avocado tree can can boast and say I'm an avocado tree but if it never produces any avocados you would have reason to question whether it's an avocado tree. Because an avocado tree should bear avocados. The same is true with the the genuine Christian. The genuine Christian who is linked with Jesus can't help but produce fruit. Notice verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble or you will never fall. Do you see the idea of the ladder here? Any of you ever fallen off a ladder? I've never fallen off a ladder, but I've been almost there more than once, hanging in the balance. But it says here that if you have these virtues, the rungs of the ladder and you hang on, you cling to Jesus, you will not fall, not stumble. In the book God's Amazing Grace, page 177, Ellen White had this to say, He who is trying to reach heaven by his own works in keeping the law is attempting an impossibility. He who is trying to copy Jesus, the character of Jesus without divine help, is attempting an impossibility. Because it's not within our power to do so. By the way, you know every time that the Apostle Paul, in his writings, he says that we're not justified by the works of the law. And that's used by many Christians to say, see, works have nothing to do with your salvation. But the fact is that that expression of the Apostle Paul, works of the law, by definition those are not good works those are bad works by definition every time the apostle Paul uses that expression works of the law he's speaking about works that we perform in order for God to save us thus they're not good works at all but the apostle Paul in many places speaks about works of love works of faith those are genuine works because they're produced by the power of God so she says he who is trying to reach heaven by his own works in keeping the law is attempting an impossibility man cannot be saved without obedience did you catch that man cannot be what saved Saved without obedience so are we saved by obedience no but we're not saved without it either let me ask you this. Which of the two wheels of a car is more important, the front wheels or the back wheels? Yes. Okay, let me put it this way. When you start your car in normal weather. Yeah, because yeah, I you know I always have people I say, you know, which of the wheels move first? The front or the back? They say, Well, it depends whether it's front wheel or rear wheel drive. <laughs> and somebody else will say, Well, it all depends. If it's slippery, you know always trying to find ways of getting off the hook so I always ask in normal weather with a normal automobile when you put your car in gear and you start your car rolling which wheels move first the front wheels or the back wheels let's suppose that it's back wheel drive immediately that the the, the back wheels propel the front wheels follow that's the relationship between faith and works. The minute that faith kicks in, works follow. You know, sometimes I've challenged people. And I'll challenge you too. See this sheet of paper. I want you to, somebody to come up and take off just this side of the paper. Anybody want to take the challenge? Oh, somebody says, okay, I'll peel it. You still have two sides. see faith works two sides of a coin it's a package deal it's not either or but both and in their proper relationship see James and Paul had to deal with two different enemies of the gospel Martin Luther didn't have much use for the book of James probably you know that He called it the epistle of straw. He didn't have much use for Revelation either. The only two books that Luther never wrote a commentary on were uh, James and Revelation, interestingly enough. And in the book of of James, what he didn't like was the fact that James says, was not Rahab justified by works? Was not Abraham justified by works when he offered up his only begotten? And yet Paul says we're justified by faith without works. Not without works, but without what? Without works of law. Which by definition are evil works. You see, Paul and James are fighting against two different enemies of the gospel. The apostle Paul is fighting against those who say, I'm saved by my works. And James is fighting against those who are saying, I'm saved without works. So when you put Paul and James together, Paul would say, We're saved by grace through faith. And James would say, Amen, a faith that works. (laughs) They're not enemies. They're not fighting with their swords facing each other. They're back to back fighting two different enemies of the gospel. And what we've been studying this weekend is the progress of the life of sanctification. It's not dealing with how we're justified, we know how we're justified. We're justified by grace through faith, without any merit of our own. But if we truly have experienced Christ, the life will change. You can't say that that you have Christ in your life and live like the devil. Jesus said, "By by their fruits, ye shall know them." So she continues saying, "Man cannot be saved without obedience." But his works should not be of himself. That's works of law. Christ should work in him to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, copy the model by appealing to his divinity, his divine power. She continues saying, "All that man can do without Christ is polluted with selfishness and sin. But that which is wrought through faith is acceptable to God. When we seek to gain heaven through the merits of Christ, the soul makes progress, looking unto Jesus, the Author and Finisher of our faith." we may go on from strength to strength, from victory to victory, for through Christ, the grace of God has worked out our complete salvation. You know, salvation actually has three dimensions. We were saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. We were saved by what Jesus did on the cross. We are being saved because Jesus is living his life through us. And we shall be saved when we eventually walk on the sea of glass. The Bible speaks of those three stages. Now the question is, how can we progress in this life of sanctification illustrated by this ladder, the eight rungs? And by the way, I believe that there are other virtues that are not mentioned here. These are only... uh, a certain list to give us the idea about what God would want us to have in our lives what is the secret it's not complicated let's go to 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 which will be our last text this afternoon 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 and beginning actually let's read verse 18 only But we all How many of us? All With unveiled face Beholding as in a mirror What? The glory of the Lord Do you know what the glory of the Lord is? Do you know what God's glory is? God's glory is His character So whose character are we looking at here? The character of Jesus But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord what happens as a result? Are being transformed into the same image. See the Holy Spirit formed the life of Jesus as a model as an image that we are to imitate. We are being transformed into the same image. Does it all happen at once? No, it says from glory to glory. And how does it happen? Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. By the way, the word transformed here is a Greek word, metamorpho. What word do we get in English? Metamorphosis. Let me ask you, in what way is a caterpillar similar to a butterfly? (laughs) you look you look at a caterpillar and you look at a butterfly do they look anything alike not Not at all you know my hobby when I lived in in Venezuela was to collect butterflies they have beautiful uh, tropical butterflies down there so I've learned a lot about butterflies in the course of my life you know I had some fabulous collections in fact my collection is still at Wisconsin Academy in the biology department you know, well-classified, just beautiful. I don't collect them anymore because I can't stand to kill them. So whenever I teach the Pathfinder Honor, I have them color them in a coloring book. You know, they have to look and they have to, you know, do the same colors as they see in the book. But I've been able to observe the process of metamorphosis. Yeah, first of all, you know, the, the... the uh, mother butterfly lays, lays an egg on a leaf, and then that egg hatches, and you have a little larva come out. And that larva starts eating the leaves from that tree. And by the way, they can only eat from that tree. They can't eat from any other source. It has to be there. So the larva starts eating and eating, and he starts growing and growing, he becomes this great big hairy caterpillar and then the caterpillar comes and he attaches himself at a certain point a few days later to a wall or to a tree and he starts burying himself in a cocoon or a chrysalis he buries himself within the chrysalis and then the the, the cocoon changes colors and takes on the color of the environment where the cocoon is Incredible camouflage. And then stays there for a few days. And all of a sudden, it starts moving violently. And suddenly, it starts breaking. And lo, out of that cocoon comes out a beautiful butterfly. No, not quite yet. Have any of you ever seen a butterfly that has just come out of the cocoon? it is all shriveled up, you know, because its wings have to be, there's a certain fluid that has to go into the wings. So it takes a while. This is a butterfly that's been born. It takes a while for the wings to spread out and, you know, it shakes its wings like it's having an epileptic seizure and it's shaking like that. You know, the shaking, yeah. <laughs> and finally, after several minutes, Sometimes in the course of uh, of more than an hour, the wings are totally outspread. Beautiful, perfect, not one defect. And the butterfly flies off into the sky. A miracle has taken place. A caterpillar has been changed into butterfly. Unbelievable. That's what's being spoken about here by the Apostle Paul. Now, when we're newborn, doesn't mean that we're all beautiful yet. It'll take a while. But we need to progress. You know, there's nothing really uglier or dirtier than a newborn baby. <laughs> so, they're so cute. Yeah, they're cute after they got all cleaned off. And they're in the blanket in the mother's arms. They get cleaned up, and then what, what do they do? They begin the process of what? Of growth. And all God expects is that we be growing in harmony with the privileges that we receive. That's advancing in the latter. It's using a different illustration, but it's the same principle. The principle of growth, advancing in the latter. Reaching full and complete maturity. Let me ask you how much does a polywog look like a frog? You don't, you don't call them polywogs, you call them tadpoles, right? You realize that a frog comes from a tadpole, right? <laughs> They're totally unlike. Un- And yet a process of metamorphosis takes place. A radical change. And that's what happens in the Christian Christian life. A radical change takes place in the life when the divine power of Jesus is coming into the life through prayer, through Bible study, through witnessing, through attending church, through being personally in tune with Jesus Christ. Day by day, moment by moment in our lives. If we are doing that, folks, people will see a difference in us. They won't even be able to recognize. Now I have one of my church members here. I hope he doesn't mind that I, you know, (laughs) choose him as a guinea pig. But uh, you know, David Peer, he was I baptized him uh, a few months ago. He works at the post office. And the post office told him that he was not going to get his Sabbaths off. And so he said, I'm keeping the Sabbath. It's a newborn baby. <laughs> he said, I'm keeping the Sabbath. And we went, you know, to had a hearing. And uh, short of it, he said, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to work on Sabbath. The people that he works with I've seen such a radical change in his life that, you know, is this David Peer? Is this the same guy that we used to know? And he's a newborn, relatively speaking. It's the miracle of God's divine grace. It's unbelievable. So the Apostle Paul says that we can advance in that ladder by keeping our eyes focused upon Jesus the author and finisher of our faith if we do this we will never fall and we'll find an entrance into the eternal kingdom and we'll be able to do what I did on a small scale stand at the top of that rock the conqueror looking out at the beautiful scenery only we'll be able to contemplate the vast universe of God and travel throughout the universe with our beloved Jesus I pray to God that as we return to our homes that we will have our mind set that we're going to get down to business and we're going to dedicate our time and our effort to what really counts in life do you want to say that to Jesus this afternoon do you want to stand if that's the desire if you want to return home with this determination to show Jesus in your life and to share Jesus with all of your soul and with all of your might I want to have a prayer with you this afternoon let's pray Father in heaven we thank you for revealing your will so clearly in your holy word we thank you because you have not left us in this world helpless, hopeless but through the power of Jesus you have made it possible for us to be restored fully and completely even better than before sin Father, thank you for performing that miracle in our lives. Father, I ask that you will bless each person here this afternoon. Father, I ask that you will give us the firm determination that we are going to return to our homes and we're going to be like Jesus through his divine power. We know that it's the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world that is going to fill the world with your glory. And we just want to be a small part of that. So, Father, we place ourselves in your hands, asking that you will do your work in our lives and that your name and your name only might be honored and glorified in everything that we do, in everything that we say, in whatever we are. We thank you, Father, for hearing and answering our prayer, for we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.